Hello and welcome to the Serial Talker Podcast. I'm Peter Von Gaum, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the mythical creature known as Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch. Now, a lot of people find this to be folklorish and purported sightings to be nothing more than a ruse, but there are a lot of people who have heard or seen this monster that are adamant about their frightening encounters. I mean, thousands of people have claimed to have seen Bigfoot, which is an ape-like creature, huge, hairy, stinky, with enormous feet, which would make an NBA basketball player's feet look like an infant's. This topic of Bigfoot is so vast that it qualifies for a multi-part, deeper investigation into this phenomenon, into this creature. But today's true story is about a sighting, or rather, an encounter with something that is really unnerving and frightening that, and I'm not kidding, will make your hair stand on end. This comes from Steve in Michigan, who was with his family, and they had a horrifying experience deep in the woods of Michigan. You're going to want to keep your lights on when you listen to this story. It was late spring of 2000, and I had been married for about a year. Itching for some kind of family adventure with my wife and stepson, I proposed we head out to rural Michigan, into nature, and camp for the weekend. The great outdoors, family bonding, a cooler full of beer and makings for s'mores. Paradise, I thought. My Uncle Donald King has a farm in Gaylord, Michigan, right on the 45th parallel, the Meridian Line. His house is exactly halfway between the equator and the North Pole. Exactly. It's actually in Johannesburg, Michigan. But it's easier just to tell people Gaylord, because everyone knows where that is. So if you're looking on Google Maps, it's straight east of Gaylord. It's about three hours north from where we were living at the time. We loaded all of the camping gear I had pieced together over the years into the trunk of my wife's 1986 Pontiac T6000, the cooler, the gas-powered lantern. You know the type with those annoying mesh mantles you had to tie on. The cumbersome Coleman canvas tent with that ubiquitous smell of must. I hadn't used it in years. God knows what condition it was in. And camp chairs. Now... The old lady's T-6000 was a car, in theory, the remnant of a once-decent car. It wasn't horribly fancy, but it was comfortable, dependable, and it rode well. At this point in its long, loyal life, the air conditioning worked. It held heat and rain wasn't getting into the interior. But washing it could prove hazardous. It was a rusting hulk, flaking, corroded, jagged steel, Winters in Michigan are brutal. Full stop. Snow and ice is a given, and the roads are salted. Rust breeds. I didn't care for the car, but my wife had a connection to it, and as long as she could depend on it, she saw no need to replace it, regardless of how it looked cosmetically. Well, rusty is an understatement. The corrosion was so much so 
that the original color of the car was almost indecipherable, especially so on the doors. This detail plays a crucial part of the horror that unfolded on this family adventure into the woods of Michigan. We stopped in to see my aunt and uncle on their farm for a short visit on the way. I told them what our intentions were. Both my uncle Donald and Aunt Cheney, her name was Maxine, but for some reason we always called her Cheney. They told me I was crazy to go out into those woods with my pretty wife and young son. They invited us, nearly insisted, that we stay there on the farm with them. Aunt Cheney had a roast in the oven and more than enough for everyone. The boy could run around and get crazy with the animals. Damn, that was tempting. Growing up, we'd had some amazing meals at the farm. Nothing, and I mean nothing, beats a farm-fresh meal prepared at the hands of Aunt Cheney. But, man, I really thought it would be fun to stay up in the woods. My wife at this point was beginning to get a feeling and wasn't too keen about going any further. Come on, we'll be okay. Look, if we run into any trouble, we can just turn around and come back here and stay. I won. After some convincing that it was going to be a blast, we left for the open field. Now, the open field was just that, this enormous open area that was our destination. The visit to the family farm was mostly a formality, just so someone would know to come looking for us if we didn't show up in a couple of days. After some convincing that it was going to be a blast, we left for the open field. This was our campsite. Now, the open field was just that, an enormous meadow in the middle of the dense forest. But the name doesn't do its splendor justice. We drove deep into the sticks on a scenic country road, straight as an arrow. It seemed to be taking longer than I had remembered years ago visiting the area. After about ten miles, we arrived at a gravel pit. There was no option but to traverse our way through it. We needed to get to the logging trails and into the forest. Tricky in a four-wheel drive. Very challenging in the old lady's Pontiac. We made our way onto the unserviced roads which cut through a tunnel of huge, deciduous trees. The scenery was spectacular. The air clean and not another car or sign of life anywhere. There were fallen trees that we barely eased past and sections of the road that was washed out and nearly impassable. I was straddling ruts that would have swallowed the car if I had gone too close one way or the other. I had done this drive hundreds of times in my uncle's Bronco and four-wheel drive pickups. I was confident we would be fine. We were tossed around like sailors on an angry sea, all of us nauseous from the bumps and shifts of the car, bottoming out a few times made for an unpleasant mood, to say the least. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. She was already thinking it was a bad idea leaving the farm, and now was determined to just turn around and go back. I won again. After a more than two-mile drive through terrain that her car was never meant to be driven through, we reached our destination. We're here, I said to grunts and groans from my cohorts, simply known to my uncle and his family for generations as 
the open field. It is literally that. You're driving through trails like a tunnel of trees with branches scraping down both sides of the car, and suddenly it's like coming out of the bat cave, spreading out before us, was this enormous and beautiful open meadow. The road is elevated along the northern edge of the field. On the left side of the car is a dense woods. To the right overlooks the vast meadow below. There is a naturally flat area that appears purpose-built for parking, almost as though somebody had been digging a gravel pit there years ago and nature was reclaiming it. We always parked here when I was a kid, when we came to this area for hunting. To get to our camping spot, we had to walk down a steep embankment, shuttling our camping gear with multiple trips back and forth from the car. I was the only one excited about this. After lugging everything down the hill to our camp spot, about a hundred yards from the car, I put my size 12s to work. I kicked and stomped down the weeds and cleared everything I could to make for a comfortable camping experience. We set up two tents. I decided we would keep our food and cooking gear in one tent and sleep in another just in case bears or animals came around looking for something to eat. Hopefully not us. One of the smarter things I did so far. The boy and I gathered up some stones and fallen branches and made a really nice campfire. I was starting to make my way out of the doghouse. We roasted weenies and had piping hot bowls of chili con carne. Canned, but man, there's something about eating around the campfire that makes everything Michelin starred. S'mores for dessert. Now I was God status. The sun began to set, so I went up to the car one last time to make sure we had everything. I was buzzing, not from the Budweiser, but was so jazzed to be out camping with them. We played some cards inside the tent until bedtime. When you're out in the deep woods like this, where it's pitch black, and not another soul or toilet or store for miles around you, you start to notice a lot of unfamiliar sounds. You become acutely aware of everything. Every little creak and movement makes you jump. There's no radio or television to occupy your ears and mind. The wind was moving through the trees, and an occasional branch broke. I don't recall any sounds that I would have considered strange, but definitely a branch or two were breaking. Then, what sounded like a really big branch cracking gave us a startle. Did you hear that? She whispered and grabbed my arm. It's... It's just the wind, relax. I had to say that even though I was thinking the same damn thing. The boy was already sound asleep. We were both sitting up on our sleeping bags, whispering when we talked. I don't know why we were whispering, but we were. As the minutes passed and we heard more noises in the forest, she was rightfully getting scared and didn't want to sleep, at least in the tent. She said, I'm going up to the car to sleep. Are you fucking crazy? Stay here. Against my advice and her better judgment, she grabbed a lantern and a blanket, and off she went. Evidently, staying in the car right at the edge of the woods, alone, was safer than with the boys. 
being alone in the car in total blackness at the edge of miles of forest, hearing the sounds in the woods and knowing that there were animals looking for a meal, probably very near the car, had to be absolutely terrifying for her. It wasn't long before I heard some crunching and crackling sounds. It was her hustling back to the tent and into the sleeping bag next to me. Just to get out of the car in the middle of those woods in total darkness and walk that hundred yards says a lot about the terror that she had to be feeling. God knows what she walked past on her way back to the camp. We laid in our bags in the middle of that field in the darkness, listening to the mysterious noises all around. The boy was now awake, and I was laying in the middle with my arms around them both. We were all on pins and needles at this point, jumping at every creek in the night. I don't think either of them could have gotten any closer. The slightest noise we heard seemed to be amplified by our fear of the unknown. There we lay completely vulnerable to the petrifying silence, followed by the punishing sounds of the woods. Waiting for something to get us, a bear, mountain lion, who knows? The boy asked, Mom, can I get in the middle? She told him no, because she didn't want to be that far away either, as if I had some ability to keep them safe. We had no business being there. But if there was any comfort to be had from them being next to me, I let them have it, without letting them know that I was just as frightened as they were. I couldn't let them think I agreed this was a really bad idea. I really had to pee, but there was no way in hell I was leaving that tent. Eventually, mercifully, we all nodded off. I was sleeping soundly, and they had both relaxed and spread out a little, when I was abruptly and I mean abruptly awakened by this scream. Like nothing I had ever heard before. It was loud, incredibly loud, and powerful. So loud, I remember thinking that I couldn't believe that they had slept through it. But I was also relieved that they had. Whatever it was, was really big. Because when it screamed, I could feel it. Like the shockwaves of an exploding bomb penetrated the canvas walls of the tent. Holy fuck. I could feel my eyes absolutely bugging out of my head. It sounded like a woman, but with a deeper voice. It sounded like it was really close and was directed right at us. It definitely wasn't an elk. I've been around many elk out hunting and know their bugle. I had been hunting in those woods since 1980, and I've heard about everything there is to hear there. It was like someone screaming, but at the same time a powerful holler. I was terrified, but I had brought them into this situation, and I had no choice but to assess the threat and determine what I was going to have to do. We had nothing to protect us. I had this mag light that we had brought along, a 5D cell heavy-duty flashlight, one of the big, long, heavy ones, affectionately known as the Rodney King, the type of flashlight used by the L.A. police on that poor motorist Rodney King back in the 90s that led to the L.A. riots. I don't think it would have helped much, though, against whatever I had just heard. 
Judging by the timber and power of the scream, it must have been enormous. I unzipped the tent with a quick thrust up, hoping that whatever was there would be scared off. I got out of the tent and shined the light toward the sound, but didn't see anything moving. I shined the field all around and didn't see anything anywhere. My heart was pounding. I wasn't going to go wandering around investigating, so I got back in the tent and into bed. I was so frightened. My mouth was just tinder dry, but I was sweaty all over. I lay there with my heart beating out of my chest until eventually, through sheer exhaustion, I fell back to sleep. In the morning, we got up and had breakfast. As we sat in our chairs eating instant oatmeal, I casually asked my wife if she'd heard anything last night after she fell asleep, and she hadn't. She asked why. Uh, I don't know, I'm just glad you guys got a good sleep. It was pretty noisy, the wind and everything. How they slept through that. I was astonished. I didn't tell her what I'd experienced. I was still unnerved and didn't want any pressure to pack up and head back prematurely. It was, after all, a spectacular campsite. They, however, were both ready to head back to civilization. They looked unrested. We all did. Camping will do that to you, unless you have really nice bedding. Good pillows make all the difference. One thing we had forgotten. So we broke down the tents, packed everything up, and took the first load up to the car. When I got to the car, I popped open the trunk and put the cooler and tent in. Then, I went around to the passenger side door. As I reached to grab the handle, I was startled and stumbled back. Oh my God, it still gives me chills when I remember what I saw. The door was ajar, and there were three deep vertical scratches below the door handle. I mean, fresh deep scratches each about an eighth of an inch wide. Through the surface rust and paint and down to bare metal, whatever did it had enormous power. I tried to rationalize how they got there. Maybe as we were driving in on the logging road, the trees on either side scratched the car. Yeah, that must be it. But then they would be horizontal, not vertical. Then... I noticed that stuck in the door handle was a small amount of really coarse, dark hair caught in the handle. Too long to be from a bear. What the hell? I quickly pulled it out. If the old lady saw this, she'd flip. I'd really be in the shithouse and we'd never camp again. They were on their way to the car, so I had to act quick. There was a bottle of water in the cooler that I grabbed and poured into the dirt. I made some mud that I quickly smeared over the scratches on the door and hoped she wouldn't notice. She didn't. The car was filthy. We loaded everything and got back onto the rut-filled logging road. I'd like to say the ride back went smoothly, but that would not be taking into consideration that the rusted and corroded fuel line broke after bottoming out in a particularly deep rut, twisting the car awkwardly. We discovered this when the fumes came into the vehicle. I got out and discovered that gasoline was shooting out like a squirt gun. Repairs were 400 bucks. 
She was not a happy camper. So, in the end, we survived a close encounter with something that, to this day, I have no explanation for. I never told my wife or the boy. It still creeps me out when I think about it. I drive a long-haul truck for a living all over the eastern part of the U.S. and sleep in it, often on side roads off the highway that are unlit and isolated. Sometimes, as I lay in bed in the cab, I think about that night and I wonder what may be wandering around outside my rig. The doors are always locked and I have personal protection inside with me. But there's something about that kind of encounter that stays with you. You can't shake it. At least, I can't. There have been 220 reports of sightings of Sasquatch in Michigan. People in Mio, Michigan supposedly have a recording of Bigfoot, vocalizing. There have also been sightings in West Branch, Michigan. Both West Branch and Mio are not too far south of the open field. Do they exist? I believe they do. People are starting to feel confident enough to talk about their experiences. A guy named Les Stroud, who produces the show Survivor Man, did an entire series on Bigfoot that was very compelling. A guy named Todd Standing has spent years in forests of Alberta in Canada gaining the trust of a group by setting out food and has gathered some amazing evidence. He has video of their faces. Of course, it's being highly scrutinized, as it should be. They appear to be frozen, not cold frozen, but near motionless. This is actually an instinctive reaction of most wildlife before they leave or come after you. Deer in the headlights... A deer can be running through the woods, but if you whistle or move conspicuously, it will freeze like that and stare at you. In the Survivor Man Bigfoot series, Les wondered why there hasn't been more trail cam videos with probably tens of thousands of cameras out there. He speculated that possibly the motion sensors in the cameras emit a light frequency that they can see or an energy field that they're able to sense so they avoid them. Yeah, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, it may seem far-fetched, but there are loads and loads of the unexplained. Have I seen one? No. But I've heard something and found compelling evidence that I can't explain. Wow. That just gave me the chills when I read that for the first time. You gotta wonder, is this for real? Is Bigfoot an actual beast? that is out in the forests that people are experiencing? I'm forever a skeptic. UFOs, Bigfoot, ghosts. But when you hear these compelling stories, it makes you wonder. And it makes you not want to go camping in the woods of Michigan. <laughs> Thank you for joining the Serial Talker podcast. As always, if you have an intriguing true story that you would like me to consider reading, please send me an email. Those details are in the description. Be sure and check out the YouTube version of The Serial Talker on YouTube. The channel's name is, you guessed it, The Serial Talker. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast as well so you get notifications when these podcasts are uploaded. Also, if you'd like to support this podcast, you could always buy me a cup of coffee. Those details are also in the description. Thanks so much, guys. 
We'll see you on the next one. Ciao.